there's no better place to bet fall racing than with Naira Bets. New players who sign up for Naira Bets today can earn a $200 sign-up bonus with promo code Rewind. Available nationwide, Naira Bets offers incredible HD live video and replays, online contests, exclusive promotions, and expert picks. Download Naira Bets app to start betting horse racing online with a $200 sign-up bonus with promo code Rewind. R-E-W-I-N-D. Sign up now at NairaBets.com or download the Naira Bets app. Welcome to episode 64 of Red Board Rewind. My name is Spencer Luganbuehl. Hope you guys had a wonderful Breeders' Cup last weekend. This week, my special guest on the show was Santanita Simulcast host Michelle Yu. We covered four races from Del Mar's Sunday Action Races 1, 5, 8, and 9. And some angles we talk about are why reading the condition book before a meet can help you with your class handicapping, why trainers that are huge in the claim box can be an ATM for your bankroll, and a hot trainer stat for the past weekend at Del Mar. This is Redboard Rewind. It's the same old story in this cycle. We go back and forth. We go back and forth. It ain't good for me. Why we do this for? We go back and forth. Won't do this no more. And now I'd like to welcome in my special guest for this week's edition of Redboard Rewind. She is the queen of the post-it note picks and the Santanita simulcast host. It's Michelle Yu. Michelle, how are you today? I'm good. I love that queen of the post-it note picks. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's so funny because with just social media in general, nobody else ever does it. And I always see you do it. And I'm like, that's such a smart way. Instead of people asking, oh, who do you like in this race or that race? It's all there in the post-it note, baby. Gold, golden hour, there. Right? Late pick five, there. Just a wonderful way to get your picks out so people can start talking about the races. Thank you. Thank you. I like it. I, you know what? Originally, I used to do them like online and then like I have I use an iPad for my handicapping. Mm-hmm. But then you have to switch back and forth and see where things are. And I mean, I was trying to do like a whiteboard, but then like you would touch it and it would erase. I went through a lot of different things and I'm like, you know what? It's a note card. They're like 500 of them for three bucks. And, you know, it's, it's pretty clean, at least when you look at it. I've recently or not recently two years ago started going with an ipad as well and it's it's nice because it saves up on the paper etc but it is difficult Mm -hmm. sometimes when you do a pod and it's like oh my ipad like shutting down or it's slowly buffering it's like can i please get to race seven so i can talk about this without leaving people in a lurch wait how about this i've literally been doing an interview before and my entire ipad like decides to reboot so i'm like yeah i don't know anything about your course anymore (laughs) and and that's the thing Like, like all your notes are gone i mean there definitely have been some snafus and it's it's amazing when you talk with people like Andy Serling, and they're like, yeah, do you remember who won that race in 1979? I'm like, well, Andy, I wasn't alive yet, but the fact that you know that horse, and I don't know who won the, the nightcap yesterday, is, like, amazing to me. Well, see, I can do that. I can, like, go back and, like, tell you, like, oh, what color tail a horse had in, like, 1990. <laughs> but, uh, you know, my, my recent memory is just not as good. I, I attribute that to having children. I mean, that could be the possibility. Let's get just an easy, quick question. How did you uh, get started in racing? Um, well, I was into horses like my whole life. And then when I was a little bit um, older, I started to watch racing on TV. That was when there was like the road to the, you know, the visa road to the triple mm-hmm. crown. And it was on ESPN and everything. So I would watch that. I taught myself how to read like the form. I, I used to cut out charts actually 
and post my them all over my room. Um, my dad took me to the track, and I'm like, this is awesome. So I for sure wanted to be like Charles E. Candy when I grew up. And uh, I actually didn't get started in working in racing until I was working at a bar, and I was handicapping horses with this guy. And he just happened to know uh, Tony Alivato, who was the – executive vice president at the time of TVG, which I had never heard of before TVG. Mm-hmm. And he got me uh, a meetup with him, and I started working for TVG slowly after that um, when I moved to Kentucky. So that was how I got into it, from a friend of a friend. What's the biggest difference from working, obviously, with TVG now compared to when you're like on the live feed for Santa Anita? Uh, well, with TVG, you know, it's a lot more action from different tracks, obviously. So you're covering a lot of stuff, but Maybe you're not as fluent in everything, especially if you get, you know, stuck with, hey, all of, all of a sudden, uh, like Golden Gate didn't run this weekend. Let's run, uh, you know, whatever harness track's running. Yeah. And you're picking up stuff like that. So you're doing a little bit more that maybe you're not as comfortable or familiar with. Also, a lot of times, you know, you don't necessarily get the time to spend on a particular race. Um, you know, if it's like, oh, we have to cram in a post parade from three different spots. Well, maybe you had a hundred notes on this Delmar maiden special way and you just don't get to them. You know, the, the beauty about Santa Anita is we're generally getting to them unless we're hitting pools from other places. Um, you know, we, we know we're going to have time to talk about these. We're able to show workouts and, and all of that. So definitely your expertise on one track becomes a lot more when you're only doing the one track. Um, you know, it, it was fun doing both. It was fun doing HRTV. I obviously do a little bit of Fox. Um, you know, there's been some other freelance things down the road. Everything brings its own kind of special beauty to it. There's something great about every gig that you get. And I kind of feel like with me, still, you know, young in my career, I feel like there is a lot of freelance stuff. It's not really, you know, unless for Andy Serling where you're just, you know, zeroed in with Naira or with a, with a specific track, you kind of do have to pick up that freelance stuff on the side. So I give credit to everybody when everyone's like, oh, you just have the one job. Well, no, I have like six. They're just all at different times right, for different exactly. people. <laughs> Well, this year kind of sucked because of COVID, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I I depend on a lot of summer jobs for, for freelance work and didn't get to do any of them because there was no traveling. And especially, and not only that with COVID, but I mean, just for what the year has been for the horse racing community, how well, you know, the Breeders' Cup went off pretty much without a snafu. The Derby got pushed back, but we still got to run it. Like, there's a lot of good that came out of this year for what it looked like when the first COVID sweep happened and we were down to Will Rogers and Foner. Yeah, I mean, at that point, you were really, really worried. People were talking about relocating, and uh, we're very fortunate that we were able to to get racing back on. And, you know, right when it started and we had the Fox coverage, that was brilliant because we were able to continue to show racing to a vast and broad audience. And I hope that the coverage that we were able to do on Fox really helped at least encourage um, some new people and some fresh faces. I got to be honest with you. I feel like some of the coverage that we did with Fox this, um, you know, early spring might have gotten some of the people that were able to buy into like authentic and end up owning a share of a Derby winner. Because I think that that was part of the reason people started watching horse racing was because there was nothing else on. I couldn't agree with you more. Just the way that we presented it, everyone says like, oh, we still didn't do a good enough job. I think we did better than a lot of people expected. And I was happy when a horse, like everyone says, oh, the shares in my racehorse. Everyone's got a negative opinion. A horse won that had X amount of owners for the Derby and now has just won the Classic. Like, that can only help. Maybe it it may only help in the short run, but I think it will help in the long run. And this is a sport that all these people who complain have been in the sport for 50 years. 
I'm only been in this less than 10 years. Like, I want this to prosper for the next 60. Maybe you guys who are sick of it don't want it to go on any longer, but I'm ready to push full bore and just see what we can get this thing to. Right. Ditto. Let's jump a little bit into the nitty-gritty now of, like, your process. And obviously, when you first started, I'm sure your process maybe has changed over the time. What's the biggest change in your process from a day-to-day as a handicapper? Oh, uh, I would say two things. First of all was when I started dating my now husband, Ryan, and he was a claiming guy. Um, I always looked at claiming races as pretty much just like, let's see the class. Well, he really taught me the ins and outs of reading a condition book and also how to look for horses that, uh, you know, you can make excuses for and trips for. I'm a big excuse maker. That's like my number one thing. I love if I can go through past performances and be like, but this happened, but this happened, (laughs) but this happened, but this happened, but this happened. And be like, that's why I land on this horse. Um, So he just really taught me, though, a lot about conditions and how to read into conditions. So that has definitely changed for me over to the last like five years. I've really seen an evolution from my end is just as far as, you know, what horse fits conditions and why that's important. Um, and also having the workouts has, has really helped and not only being able to have them on XBTV where you can watch them yourself, but I also utilize the handicappers report. Um, and you know, anytime XB doesn't have a work, they generally do. So I can get information that way. And I think that those two, those two things in addition, um, have really changed how I used to handicap. I love the condition book. Whenever the new meet's about to start for, like, Tampa's in, I know it's about to start. I know a lot of people don't play Tampa. I happen to love Tampa. So I'll go on, and I'll just look through on Equibase, the first condition book. I'll look at the index to see what kind of levels they're at. Why do you mm-hmm. think not enough people start looking in the condition book? Because I feel that, sure, it's an extra step added, but it's just fun to know when it's like, oh, that horse is actually secretly dropping four levels, and he's going to be a standout, and he's 6-1 to one in the morning line. Well, I would say that a lot of people don't realize how accessible the condition book is, right? I mean, maybe they don't know that you can go run an Equibase and get the condition book. Maybe they think it's like a secret handout that you only get on the racetrack. Um, and second of all, I don't know if a lot of people even read the conditions that are in the race, right? They just look, okay, it's an open 50, and they're not reading anything yeah. like underneath it. Um, so and that could just be no one taught them, or maybe they're just lazy. Obviously, as you start to get to the upper echelon of handicappers, they're looking at everything, and I still don't even know if they get condition books. But the also thing you have to remember is if you're not only playing one track and you're trying to play five or six a day, well, like just the conditions that are available vary so much that it's a lot to try and remember. You know, when we're only looking at Santa Anita, only looking at Del Mar, only looking at La Salle, it's a lot easier to know. Like these are the conditions that that Jay generally write. Unfortunately, a lot of our um, racing secretaries are not super creative, so we're seeing the exact same races. <laughs> so you pretty much know, um, you know, this is why this horse is in here. I think too a big thing for me is bottom levels of certain claiming conditions. Like I know right. obviously with Aqueduct starting, they run you know sometimes eight ten thousand for the bottom. Belmont's usually around twenty, and people will be like, oh, it's a drop in class from twenty to ten. It's the bottom nope. at one track. Bottom, it's the bottom. Bo- <laughs> bottom is bottom. And people are like, yep. what and do you mean? That's so, that's so true. Turf to dirt, too, right? Like mm-hmm. someone's like, oh, this horse is running for 20 on the on the turf, and now he's in for eight. Well, that's the bottom level turf to the bottom level dirt at Santa Anita. So that is a lateral move, people. And I, I constantly am like haranguing on that during the, the simulcast. Like, just so you guys know, this is not a class. I mean, it's a minor class drop, right? Like, but it's not like the plummet that it looks like on paper. It's not six levels. Well, and I feel that too. People don't realize now with turf becoming such a bigger, you know, U.S. thing, the turf racing has always been a little bit higher. You're not going to see 5,000, you know, N2L 
turf races. I want to if it's maybe at. I wish we would. I mean, listen, <laughs> I, I would too. But when you see 30,000 and they're like, oh, it's a good middle level. That's the bottom for turf sometimes. And then, yeah, they will right. run, you know, 15, 10 for dirt. And it's just, I think that it has to be more accessible now with turf becoming a bigger thing. You hear handicappers all the time. I'm a really good dirt handicapper. I'm a terrible turf handicapper. If you're already good at one thing, I don't understand why certain handicappers just don't, you know, plug in the last 100 races at a certain racetrack, see who the winner was, and just start looking at patterns. And I'm going to talk about a pattern right. at the end in race nine that I think will blow a lot of people's minds about a certain trainer that people don't that people do dislike that I talk to all the time. But uh, he did pretty good last weekend at Del Mar. All right. I'll be waiting. Um, let's talk angles. Obviously, we just got into the condition book. What are some of your favorite angles to play at the racetrack? Um, I like to look at horses that were speed and fade, especially first time out. Um, I think that that angle is really good. That's a horse that shows like some kind of interest and then they just got tired. So you can look for them next time. I like third start off a layoff to, for a form cycle. I think that that's the time a lot of horses can peak and I'm very big on patterns, like winning back to back races or even putting together good races multiple times in a row is not easy for any horse for every horse. You know, some horses go peak valley, peak valley. So I always look for that as well. Like, oh, did this horse ever run back-to-back wins if he just won, you know? Because um, it's not always the case. So those are a couple of things I look for. And excuses. I want to go through it. Not the crap, like, <laughs> I don't want to look at the, the comment line and be like, bumped at the break. <laughs> well, they were going a mile and a quarter. I was in that matter. Like, give me a yeah. real excuse, you know? So, um, you know, anytime that I can remember a race or go back and watch a race that I can see like, okay, there was a legitimate issue there. And trip note pros has been really great for that too. If you get a little lazy, they do the work for you and they can tell you if something happened there. Um, that's extra stuff that, that I like to, to look at to, to try and differentiate your handicapping from just, okay, this horse is running for 50 and he ran for 40 last time. Let's talk a little bit about speed and fade. So for me, when I see a speed and fade horse, I usually want to see their speed at least to the half mile, sometimes to the stretch before they start to fade out. I know some people are like, oh, he ran so good that first quarter and, you know, sub 22, and then he faded. Well, the reason he did is because he ran sub 22. That's why the horse faded. Most right. horses can't go sub 22 and hold on. And just I do like to see it to a certain extent. Were you like that as well, where it's usually good to see it to the half mile or to the stretch call? Uh, it kind of depends on the type of race, right? Like, I mean, on a race that a horse has had maybe a couple outs or trying something new, yeah. But if we're talking first-time starter, if they show any zip yeah. interest early and then they fade, I don't even care if it's the first 200 yards out of the gate mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, something happened or he got in front and his ears went up. I mean, I, I, it just depends to me on, on the type of race. For third start off a layoff, I know – Back in the old school buyer books, it was usually like the seventh place in the first race, third in the second race, and then, oh, he was ready to peak <laughs> that, that time. Is that kind of the same way you look at it, or does it matter if it's two last place finishes, sometimes the third place, they'll just start to, you know, work it out after that? No, I definitely want to see some kind of improvement. Um, and if it's not like, uh, if it's not, if it has to be last place, then they better have been doing something different. Like, he might have come off the bench sprinting on the dirt, and then the next time out, routing on the turf and this horse really wants to route on the dirt, but that race wasn't available. So, you know, if, if it's going to be last place finishes, it has to be something like that where we can give an excuse for the reason and then thinking, okay, well, this is going to be the change. If it's not that type of situation, they did like literally the exact same race, the first two outs, and they finished like junk, then mm, probably not going to see a huge improvement in, in this instance. Um, but, you know, if, if you can see some kind of improvement or you have a reason why they might have run last in both of those two, that's when I look for the third start off the layoff. 
let's try and help out these viewers with some more angles and some just good current form handicapping. Let's jump into the first race of today's podcast. It was race number one from Del Mar on Sunday. It was a fifty to $45,000 claimer going one mile on the turf. What would you like in here, Michelle? Um, well, originally, I did pick the four on top, who was AG Indy for Andrew Lerner, because when you looked at this race, I thought there was a probability that AG Indy could be lone speed. Now, there are a lot of horses that like to press, but it looked to me like AG Indy was the committed front runner. She had just won or ran second, two starts back after being a lone leader, 450. Uh, and then last time out, ended up not running as well when they dropped her in for 40. But that's kind of a... I felt like it was an okay race for her as well because she went wicked fast and she was out in the front on her own. Um, and I thought, okay, well maybe she's on her front by herself and they just ease her back a little bit. That'll be okay for her. So I did use her on top. She did go to the front in the race. She had been training really well. She was third start off a layoff. There was lots to like about her and she was four to one. I was just trying to be smart and beat uh, Colombian gold who I know was going to be hammered for Bill Spar and Slavian Pratt. I think well, that's too interesting. We'll bring up uh, Colombian Gold. Obviously, this is not uh, a, a lightly a lightly raced horse. Eleven starts. We're kind of getting into that little wishy washy pattern. But four improving races in a row, and we had just seen this happen in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. A horse like that's a limit. That's a limit. The favorite that's eliminating my mind. But, in the Juvenile. Yeah. Uh, who was the favorite in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile? <laughs> I don't Host blunder at its best. But anyway, people know the horse. I'm sure it's going to pop up to me at 12 o'clock tonight, but just four, four improving starts like that, and it's hard to see a horse at two. Obviously, she is three, but it's hard to string four or five improving buyers back together like that. So this one was kind of just one I was going to try and fade. Anything with Pratt's name next to it takes a ton of money in California. It's almost just like people don't even look at the form anymore. They just see Pratt or a Rispoli, and they're like, okay, good enough for me. Jackie's Warrior. Jackie's <laughs> Warrior. Good Lord. <laughs> Oh my God! And we call and we call this a podcast. <laughs> so for me, I was um, I was interested in the number one Sabino's Pride. It just seemed to me this is another horse that was improving four x times. The last race was just such a big, big buyer top, and I just didn't know if all of a sudden the light bulb angle would come on and this horse was going to just improve again or somehow show another form. Just the fact that this horse was 10-1 to 1 with an 83 last out buyer in a race that I thought was very competitive. I didn't want any of the short prices. This horse, to me, just seemed like one that had to be included. I also did like your top pick, AG Indy. Uh, it's always hard when you see that good race two back and then a drop in class and then the horse not do well again. But the fact that Lerner claimed... But see, that was, that was one of those instances, too, where we're going to call it a drop-in class, but that's kind of a condition book play because we're talking straight three-year-old races, and there's a very limited amount of them. Mm -hmm. So at Del Mar, they just happen to write straight three-year-olds for 50. They don't write them for 40. And at San Diego, we write straight three-year-olds for 40. So even though it looked like the big class drop, it was really not. It was just the same race because there's we, we rarely write these open races for these straight three-year-olds, unfortunately. Um, and that's why, like, when you when you look in here, okay, so it's for 50 because we're back at Del Mar, but it's the only option for straight three-year-olds. Well, that would be a good angle there to start off with. The, the, the other thing was the workout, the bullet last time out. I'm starting to not get sick of bullets at four furlongs, but I just feel like that five furlong bullet just seems to be such a bigger form adaptation of how good they're doing. And I really like to see this one had a mm -hmm. bullet first out of 17. It's not a big number, but it's good enough for me when it's, you know, sub 59. So definitely one that I wanted to include. And then too much heaven, I thought was just going to kind of be the, 
you know, could go to the lead, could stalk, and just had the new buyer top last time out. Maybe was another one improving for only 28000 last time out at Del Mar, but just another one that had good bullet workout. I just kind of had wanted to use those type of four horses in an exacta box and try to figure out if I can beat this favor out. What did you end up doing from a wagering style here? I ended up uh, not wagering this race, but my top pick four, five, one, three. And the reason I ended up not playing is because my kids got in the way. <laughs> that is a... How's that for honesty, right? Like, <laughs> sometimes I get like, I, I here's my thing. I don't like to play like first thing in the morning, right? I like to sit and watch the race and play if there's a horse that I like the way it looks or if there's a horse that is like the right price now, you know, just say, oh, I want to try and beat X, Y, or Z. And then they end up being longer odds. And you're like, well, maybe I should just play this horse after all. Um, so I am like a last minute wager constantly and didn't get my bet in time, which when AG Indy was out there free balling, I was thinking, oh, man. <laughs> let's see who wins the opener right now. Good even beginning. It is AG Indy to the early lead. Too much heaven away running in second and right behind her. And then Colombian gold in third. Sabino's pride on the inside. Tracked by white velvet and loud, loud music. Lady Noguez races to the back with Star of Africa as they move into that first turn. A.G. Indy, the pacemaker here. Too much heaven, a length and a half behind. Sabino's pride saves ground third on that turn. Colombian gold tracks them fourth, three and a half lengths off the lead, 23.25, the opening quarter mile. Then white velvet and loud, loud music together. They've got six lengths to gain, and then Lady Nogaz and Star of Africa. Up the back stretch, Abel Cedillo and A.G. Indy. Up top here by about a length. And that it's too much heaven, tracking in second, followed by Sabino's pride, Colombian gold outside of her fourth, just ahead of White Velvet, who's down toward the rail. Loud, loud music, Star of Africa is moving now on her outside, and Lady Noguez at the back of the pack. 47.49 was the half as they make their way around the far turn. A.G. Indy by three quarters of a length. Too much heaven now being asked to go after her in second. Colombian gold circling up there three wide. In behind them, Sabino's pride, star of Africa, and white velvet. They're into the stretch. It's A.G. Indy off the turn in front, but confronted now by too much heaven on the outside. Colombian gold tries to come and get them. Sabino's pride is fourth behind them. Long shot white velvet finishing well on the far outside they're coming down to the line too much heaven was too good and the winner was the number two too much heaven paying 560 with a 74 buyer the betting at the end of this race was so bizarre because too much heaven was about five to two compared to Colombian gold who was too much heaven's price and they just flip-flopped out of the gate and i'm like well i'm probably on the wrong horse here then right i know looking at those it was it was hard, and you knew Colombian Gold was going to get played, um, and she, I don't know, she had been beaten by too much heaven, but then she just beat Lady Nougat. I don't know. It, the betting at the last minute makes me nuts. I, I will say this, though. When you look at the top three finishers, too much heaven, AG, India, and Colombian Gold, if you had liked all three equally, then as a wager, you have to be playing AG, Indy, even if you're going to lose X amount of times. Eight to one is just such a much better price than under three to one for the other two. Obviously, in this yeah. race, you kind of get unlucky by running second, just missing. But I had actually ended up hitting my exact. I had played uh, the two and the one on top and AG Indy and uh, not Colombian Gold, Star of Africa underneath. And so I ended up getting that exacta mm -hmm. for a $6 wager, came back 18 Not the biggest, but when you're a small bankroll player, 3 xing your money isn't that bad at all. 
No, it's not, definitely. What were your thoughts after the race, now seeing you know a horse like Too Much Heaven? Now, again, it's it's so funny when you look at formulary and look at what the chart was. The top four all ran 74 buyers, so if you thought this race was contentious before, it literally didn't really answer anything out of the race either. So, and I um, don't really look at... <laughs> I don't look at a lot of buyers, honestly. So mm-hmm. I'm not like the person that the next day is like checking their buyers out to see what they ran. Um, the horse I was rooting for at the end was White Velvet. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a horse that, you know, had been in the thick of things with a couple of these, got dismissed in the numbers early on, and was right there at the end. I think, I don't know what she needs. I think a little tiny quirk for her, and she's the winner of this easy. Also running a 74, and it was, just, it was a small improvement. All these horses had run between a 77 to a 71, so you knew it was going to be just that very tightly contentious race. I think it was going to be three horses at the wire. When you see these types of races in the turf racing, everyone always says, you know, it's always going to be within a length, usually in the turf races, and it's open lengths when you're watching dirt. I think that's another reason why mm-hmm. people struggle in turf racing is because the variance there is not – it's it's much more, I feel like, than in, than in dirt racing. Can I, can I give, like, a reason why, too? It's so hard because the, the, the GRF doesn't list for us where the rail is at. Yeah. I feel like if it could tell you where the rail is at and you could really see, oh, well, this horse went gate to wire, but the rail was out. And every time the rail's been out, this horse has run well. I feel like that makes such a, like a bigger difference. So we have a horse that ran a couple of days ago, Restoring Dream. He, like, stopped dead at five furlongs. Well, the rail was out. So for him, while you would think, oh, speed holds, well, that means the rail was out, so he traveled farther than, like, the five furlongs that he is, you know, yeah. hopping out at. So that means, oh, well, hey, right inside the 16th pole, he got tired already, and they swamped him, whereas normally that wouldn't have happened if the rail had been down. So to me, I think that's one of the reasons why, because we don't generally see that. Like, if it's muddy, they're not putting dogs out in the middle of the dirt. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the, the rail is always the rail on the dirt course. So. I would love to be able to see some notations in the past performances because, honestly, for me, I don't have access to be able to have my formulator at the racetrack and mm-hmm. be able to update that myself because we don't have the Wi-Fi capabilities. Yeah. So either I have to go in that night and, like, enter it all in, and then it's just a huge pain in the butt, or I just kind of, like, chalk it up to, well, I guess it's not in there. It's not in there. Hopefully I remember next time. Um, but it gets really hard. So that's so annoying. And I think that that's one thing that could really help people that are having problems turf handicapping is the actual configuration of what the heck's going on in the race. I couldn't agree with you more there. Is there any horse out of this race? Obviously you talked white velvet. Is there another horse that you think would be interesting next time out? I mean, you know, AG and D still ran her race and Andrew Lerner, um, has been on a little bit of a cold streak. So the fact that she, still put in a pretty good effort i would say i would look for her again i honestly wouldn't mind her being at del mar if they want to wheel her back and i don't know if they could or not um in like a mile and a 16th race because a lot of times if you can't do a mile you can go the mile and a 16th because she mm-hmm. can get a big breather in there she'd be interesting let's move on to our second race race number five and state bred philly optional 20 and one x going five furlongs on the turf course my top pick in here ended up being the number five, Annalisa. What are your thoughts on horses that race down there in the quarter horse tracks? I used to always think it was a big negative, like they couldn't handle the thoroughbreds, but obviously with COVID this year, it was a whole big difference when they uh, were coming out of the COVID area. What are your thoughts on the quarter horses also running as a thoroughbred? Yeah, so when you look at the allowance races around like the 1,000 yards, those are chock full of good thoroughbreds. Now, if they're running Maiden 3500, uh, that would be an instance that I would say they probably aren't going to be as competitive. 
But, you know, when they, like you said, now that we have all these, um, the COVID situation, we all end up over there. There's a lot of horses that are running over there and running really, really well. And they are competitive when they come back and they can go the flat five. It's hard for them uh, sometimes to, you know, use that as a stepping stone into going much farther. But there are definitely the instances that it's been working really well. And a lot of times people use those instead of working your horse. Why work them for free when you can take them across town? And even if they run second or third, they're taking home two, three thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's nice that, that this paid for, you know, their their day rate for the month. What did so you- I am not opposed to that. And we use we utilize it as well for some of our horses. What did you end up liking on top in this race? So I ended up uh, liking the two in here. Sophie's gold for Carla Gaines. She broke her maiden two starts back. That was her first time on turf. Went to the sideline. Last time out, speed and fade. And she got beat that day by Althea Gibson, who's a really good horse. She was stuck down along the rail. She went wicked fast. I thought for sure that she could improve in her second start, getting one off the rail. I just thought this was a nice spot for her. It's always nice, too, when Umberto Raspoli takes the call. Not saying that Sias is bad because I'm a big Sias fan, but it's always nice when you can get one of the top two. I mm-hmm. I had also liked, like I said, Annalisa. I just just seemed like – I did, too, and I liked – yeah. She, my top picks were two, six, five in that order. She had just seemed like just such in form, and I was looking around. And this is – I was actually playing in a contest on horse trainings. It was a little – five dollar when i ended up against three other people and i kind of got split in this race because i didn't know if i wanted the five or the six and with the six Mm -hmm. it was just you know obviously when they when you can win first time out sometimes you usually have a uh a decent horse won by a nose second place horse came back to win as well so that's always you know an improvement and richard baltus for people who don't know is also really good on the turf just in case people were wondering there's not just peter miller out there who's good on the turf course and just it wasn't that I was afraid the 64 buyer was fine, but again, this might be a race where I'm just too much of a buyer person and see all the 70s and then a top of an 80, and can this horse improve just so much past that as well? Right. Well, I like she's devoted because I thought she was bred for the grass, top and bottom, so that was something I looked at in her career debut, and she didn't have the easiest debut. I thought she overcame a lot, even though she was the favorite. Um, she definitely had to try hard. She's coming off a pretty long layoff. I thought her workout tab was really good coming into it. And because she won first time out, I kind of likened it to, the, to that same situation where she could win fresh off the bench. I love the fact that Flavian decided to get aboard. And I thought she was going to have um, enough pace in there because Sophie's goals can put up legitimate fractions. And Annalisa coming off at those pair of five for long races and the thousand yard race at Golden Gate. I thought she was going to try and, you know, set some pace for her as well, which I just thought set it up for She's Devoted. And the only reason I ended up with Sophie's Gold on top of her is because one of my, like, key things I don't love is first-time versus winners, and that's what She's Devoted is, and that's why I regulated her to second. Let's talk real quick about the number one time for Ebby as the only horse in there for the 20,000 claim. What are your thoughts on when you see that? Because a lot of times people see the 20,000, and sometimes if they're not, if the race that she ends up having to have to be in for the tag isn't in the past performances, people get confused. Obviously, this horse was in for 20. I'm guessing she probably uh, broke her 20 and one X a while back. Uh, when you see a horse like this in as the only one, is that like an improvement or is that kind of just, you know, that she's uh, already broken this condition? Yeah. I mean, she's already gone through this condition and you like that because you have a horse a lot of times this race ends up being horses like she's devoted, right? That were good mm-hmm. maiden winners, but they haven't done much else. So at least with time for Ebby, you know that she's been around the block. She's stakes place. Um, you know that she's sound because Steve Knapp keeps get, going back in and reclaiming, reclaiming, reclaiming for 20. 
I mean, this is the level that she's run consistently at. As you can see, she's over 11 on the year. This is definitely a horse that you should use in your exotics when you're looking at her because she hits the board constantly. I mean, she is an absolute ATM for her connections, and she's gone to different barns and still been able to run really, really well. If she wasn't seven years old, I would have claimed her this year. Um, I'm, I love older horses like this that can just kick around the block and keep doing their job. What did you end up doing from the wagering prospect? Anything in this race or was another pass for you? Uh, I just bet um, Sophie's Gold win place. For me in the contest, it was Annalisa. Let's see who wins the fifth here at Del Mar right now. And it's Sophie's Gold who goes out to the early lead. Joined on the outside by Ion Tiger. And right up there, too, is Annalisa. Now, Annalisa battles for the front. And right up there in that group, too, is La Aguilila and Dee's lovely Sophia. And then it's back to time for Ebby. She's devoted to the outside. Another three lengths back to Concise Advice. Silk from Heaven. And Ion Tiger is now the trailer. La Aguilila on the outside, Sophie's Gold along the rail, Dee's lovely Sophia tracks them from third. On the inside is time for Abby, Annalisa circling up on the outside, she's devoted in behind them and they're into the stretch. La Aguilila on the outside, Sophie's Gold along the rail, they're locked in battle, time for Abby trying to come on. Farther out, Annalisa, she's devoted, splitting horses and here she comes too, here she's devoted in Flavian Pratt taking the lead and taking off for the wire to win by almost a length in the end. Time for Ebby was second, La Aguilila was third, then Sophie's goal. And the number six, She's Devoted, wins paying 740 with a buyer of 76 with a wonderful ride from Flavian Pratt. But like we had talked about before, time for Ebby, just the quintessential ATM, another board hit at 10 to 1 though. Obviously not winning for the connections, but a horse like this has just got to be one that you can always circle and just find and have to, even if you're not a vertical player, this is the exact type of horse you should be looking for. Multiple times being reclaimed and just hitting the board and running well enough, just the bridesmaid, never the bride. Exactly. And you know that the problem is they're not, I feel like even if you dropped her in for a lot cheaper, she might not even come away with the win. Mm -hmm. She can stick here and it's a $60,000 purse, this Cal 20 condition that she can keep running in for 20, and if she gets claimed, well, Steve Nat claims her back because she's not going to be competitive for 40 or 65, right? There's not a lot of upside with her, and if he keeps wanting her back, he keeps claiming her back, but, you know, she she's making a fair amount of money. She made almost $100,000 this year and hasn't won a race. Thoughts on your top choice, Sophie's Gold? Was it just, you know, not the right... Wah, wah. Yeah. Just, <laughs> I, I mean, I mean for, for me, I just thought that she might be a little bit too slow off, off the rip, the last race coming out, but I do like the speed and fade angle because... If she if uh, she came back with a much stronger performance, it could hold on a little bit longer. Like betting the win place, maybe you get that place money, and she's been a good enough price where you'd make some money that way. Well, you know what happens is a lot of times you'll get horses like the three La Aguilila who get up in there and show lick when they shouldn't have previously. Yeah. And all of a sudden it just throws a wrench into everything. And then what do you do? Like, you know, you're not going to send Sophie's gold and get in front of La Aguilila right away. or You know what I mean? It just kind of throws a wrench into everything when someone does that. And it's annoying um, from a handicapping standpoint, too, when you look at a horse that Okay, it's been competitive, relatively competitive at Golden Gate from off the pace, but last time at Cal in uh, Santa Anita, it was crushed. Um, I mean, overall, it hasn't won a race, and I don't even know how long. You want to like just chuck that horse out, and then it gets on the front end and just does your speed horse some damage. I will say this from the top two huge finishing times: uh, eleven flat and eleven point one four for that Ooh. final. I mean, I, I can't remember the last time I've seen eleven flat, to be quite honest. 
any horse out of here that you'll be interested in betting next time out as well, or not so much? Oh, well, she's devoted, obviously. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you know, I I gotta I gotta keep watching Time for Evie. There's your like, if you go to Santa Anita and we do the show Viver. She's your show Viver horse. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Let's jump into our third race. Race number eight It was the grade three Bob Hope going seven furlongs. Everyone was so excited to see Spielberg come back. I had some interesting notes from a friend. We'll get to those in a little bit. Let's talk about Weston. First of all, how excited were you guys for this horse? Oh, I was really nervous for this horse, actually. <laughs> I mean, I we'd already been beaten by Spielberg before going seven furlongs. I don't generally think that this is his ideal distance, and he's obviously coming off a break because he hadn't run since the Delmar Futurity. He had been training really well coming into the race, um, but I knew it was going to be a tall task. He was going to have to get a lot faster just to be competitive with Spielberg. Um, so going into it, I, I mean, I was I was very hedged. I liked Red Flag in there as well for John Sheriffs. He was coming off a maiden win on the turf. And while his debut race wasn't as great on the main track, I think this horse just wanted more ground. He's a big leggy colt. And the horses in that debut race for him have been good, right? We're talking Superman Shack, who's the half to Monomoy girl, Parnelli, who's come back to run really well. I mean, it was just a good race for him. And they all had racing experience when he was first time out. Let's talk real quick, just something that I, it's it's not a gripe I have with racing, but just the two-year-old graded stakes, the Delmar Futuri and the American Fair, both are grade ones. Everyone's like, oh, this horse is dual grade stake placed. To me, there should be no grade ones at two-year-old. It should be the one grade one should be the Breeders' Cup, uh, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, and then everything else should be a grade two. What are your thoughts on that? That's interesting. I don't, I don't mind that. I mean, I think that that's very intriguing to take that into consideration for the future i i just feel that everyone when they get to the sales ring everyone hears you know oh you know 4x grade one place yeah well the horses he beat were six maidens and a horse that barely won an allowance race so to me right, like, right. that's not the full grade one and i think me and ptf talked about this a couple of pods ago just there are there are good grade ones and there's fake grade ones and there's a lot more fake grade ones out there now or even grade twos and grade threes than there are real mm-hmm. ones because a lot of the times it's the horse you know broke its maiden first time out with a sixty and now is jumping up. I forget the horse that ended up winning the big race last year as a two year old uh, Nucky some horse Nucky and ended up with like a forty eight yeah, buyer and I'm, yeah and I'm like a forty eight buyer I'm like excuse me like sub fifty buyer for a grade one two year old race like it just that that's the big talking point for me well, when. But we have to take we have to take into consideration there's not there's nowhere else for these horses to run, right? So yeah, when a lot of them are being also ran, well, there's just nowhere there's no allowance races. There's not. There's not none have gone. There's been no place to run your horse unless it's been in a graded stake. So it's not their fault, right? Like if you sure. have a horse that's a future claimer, what are you gonna do? Sit them in the barn, you're gonna they break their maiden in March and you're gonna sit on them until March of next year. You can't. So you end up doing things like that. And yeah, down the road you can see who was finishing behind him and it wasn't great, but that's not their own fault. And, I mean, the one thing you have to say is sometimes horses are precocious and they can win these great stakes now. They might not be able to win them at three. So, you know, I feel like there's both sides of the coin. You know, are they fake grade ones? Possibly, but we won't know that till later. And that being said, you can say the Kentucky Derby's half time half the time a fake grade one. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with that point either. <laughs> do, do, do you wish there was more allowance races? Because for me, if I was ever going to be an yeah. owner, I just I, I would always I would never put a horse off of a main window a graded stake, even if the trainer was like, oh, he's going to do so well. Let him move up slowly through the ranks. Allowance one, allowance two, listed stake, and then let me try a graded stake. To me, when I see some of these, I don't have them. 
crazy. That's, that's the deal. That's, I mean, like, well, here's Weston's for uh, an example, right? Like, instead of running in here, what we wanted to do was in the first book at Del Mar, there was a five furlong allowance race for two-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Okay? So that's what we want to bring him back there and then run him in the, in the Los Alcatraz charity. That would have been ideal. Unfortunately, the winner's race didn't fill. Um, you know, we had another horse that was nominated to this, Teton Valley. He just broke his maiden. There has not been a, there's not a race for him. So now we're just sitting on him, working him for free, waiting for something to come up that he can be competitive in because you don't want to run him and, you know, over their head and get their hearts jerked out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there, I wish there was allowance races. And I don't know if, if we need, if, if we need to run more winner's races or maiden races first to get them, or, you know, if, if everyone was behind the curve because of COVID, I don't know if it's because everyone's so choosy about what they do with their horse. I'm not sure what we need to do, but it would be so nice to have allowance races to be able to put your horses in where you don't have to do stakes. For the average horse player, how often do you think that they think a race doesn't fill compared to how it actually is? Oh my gosh. Races don't fill all the freaking time, <laughs> all the time. It, it, a lot of times if you see like a 60 day layoff, the horse didn't need a damn layoff. There was, the races didn't fill. Um, I mean, you know, the, the, I mean, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but it's been so such a frustration. You know, you have, mm-hmm. um, a race that might have six or seven and they're like, we're going to hold it. And it's like, you can't hold it, run it with seven. Like, yeah. you know, everyone wants to have the 10 horse field, the 10 horse field, but you know what, if you hold it two more days, um, half of those horses are leaving, they're going somewhere else. Yeah. And then you end up in two days. Oh, all of a sudden there's only three. Well, what happened to the other four? Well, they went to different races. You know, so it's so frustrating. So for you, it said red flag. What, what was red flag your overall top pick of this race? No, I did say Spielberg was, oh, and well. it's because he had had back-to-back route races under his belt. I did think his speed was going to be dampened because of that. You know, when you go back to the Delmar Futurity, he had been on the lead. Weston had laid off. Weston was actually in tight between um, two horses at that time, um, and Spielberg was the leader. Um, now we wanted to say we wanted Weston to be on the front because that's where he did his best running when he was, you know, broke his maiden. Um, and having Spielberg have come out of those back-to-back route races, we were hoping he would just be a touch slower. And he kind of appeared to be at, at one point, you know, he wasn't going to be as quick up there. So Weston was able to take that advantage. But red flag, I mean, on the turn, holy cannoli, did he look fantastic. <laughs> um, you know, he's got a great pedigree. He's got a very interesting one. He can obviously handle both surfaces. I thought he looked really good um, breaking his maiden. And then obviously Gator Shining, the horse that he beat, came back to win the day before and break his maiden. Um, So it was just a really good effort, like kind of all around in that particular race. And it just set up nicely for him. We were able to put the pace up that he needed, and he just looked like an absolute savage. Interesting for me. I, this is called lazy handicapping. I just ended up on Spielberg just because I didn't really know where else to go in the race. And obviously, when you're in a tournament, and I, I was still in dead last out of these four people so far, I had just uh, I only hit uh, a race a couple of races earlier to make like six dollars. So I ended up on Spielberg. And my friend Vinny from Real Dynasty Picks brought up something really well. I thought it was interesting. How many Bob Baffert, well-regarded two-year-olds, have raced four times in a year? He's like, can you even remember mm-hmm. the last one? I couldn't really remember either. So he had also like the, the horse red flag. I probably should have just gone Uncle Boogie just because I did like the fact that the first time out against winners ran really good. And usually you don't see that good race back to back like we talked again. You know, when horses can put back to back races, how difficult that is. And at the price difference, I just don't know why I didn't play Uncle Boogie. But uh, I was also on Spielberg. Let's see who the next grade two winner is as a two year old right now. 
They're off in the Bob Hope Stakes. And it is Weston on the inside who's out well. Right alongside Coastal Kid, red flag outside of them. Spielberg is fourth in the early stages, clear of ambivalent, and the trailer is Uncle Boogie. Up the backstretch, and there goes Spielberg now, splitting rivals and taking a short lead up the backstretch. Right alongside of Coastal Kid, Red Flag is outside of them, and Weston is down toward the rail, and there's four across the track. Ambivalent sits off of them, and Uncle Boogie is wide and last. The opening quarter mile, 22.73 seconds. They move for the far turn. Weston has now taken a slight lead here. Spielberg is in between horses. Coastal Kid is there. And on the outside, red flag. Ambivalent is fifth and moving up. And, oh, checking hard out of there was Coastal Kid, who was in traffic and had to check. Meanwhile, red flag has taken command on the far turn. Red flag has opened up to lead by two. And then it's Weston in second, ambivalent is third. Spielberg has retreated to fourth. Uncle Boogie has moved up into fifth, but a lot of work to do. And red flag to catch. Red flag by the eighth pole in front by five. Ambivalent is second. And then it's Uncle Boogie on the outside and Spielberg. And they're coming to the line. And red flag rolls home in the Bob Hope. And the number five, Red Flag, gets it done paying a whopping 23.40 with an 80 buyer. A nice surface switch from turf to dirt. I'm starting to realize that it's happening more and more. We're seeing more turf to dirt horses come through and win these big stakes. We're almost like the turf races, the prep, and everyone, you know, Trip Note Pros, it said that the horse was eight wide and had a very difficult trip. Vinny had said the same thing. So just something to look forward to going ahead. But I know that you had, had an interesting paddock thought on this horse. Yeah, um, I had liked this horse when I clicked on. I saw the price. I was like, oh, I should bet him to place. And that's one of the things I like to do is I like to bet price horses to place because then they deliver me something and I feel good. Mm -hmm. and my top four still wins. I'm happy. Um, but when I saw him on the track, he was like really washy. He had dripping in sweat in between his back legs. I knew it wasn't all that hot down there. He just didn't look great to me. Um, and so I decided to pass, which was obviously the wrong call. <laughs> so when you see that, though, and then you see a horse blast off like this, we just kind of like write in big capital letters, if looks washed out, still bet horse could be monster. Like, because that's how I yeah, would feel. Yeah, no, I do. Like, I, I would. So um, whenever horses come into the paddock at Santa Anita, I change colors for like all my different notes, depending on what kind of note I'm writing. Okay. And my looks note is green so i always write them in the same spot so you know i can go back if i have if so now next time like red flag runs if i don't like remember he was a hot mess i'll like go back to my last set of pps that he ran it and see did i note anything about him which i know would be better off if i wrote all this in formula but again or formulator but again uh, i don't have access to it on my ipad so it just doesn't work out for me <laughs> so i have to kind of go old school way and like flip back through but i do note things like that so i can remember if they had skin disease or if they flipped in the paddock or if they were super nervous or what it was. I will bring up uh, something on Twitter that I thought was kind of interesting. Jude Feld, I've had on the show as well. He goes, ordinarily upbeat, but all this Kentucky Derby talk about red flag is nuts. He beat a colt who broke his maiden for 32000 and a maiden. It's a right. long and winding road to Louisville. And I feel like that that's the whole right. reason for me when I say the grade one racing at two is kind of just crazy. Obviously, he won by seven, but this massive Baffert that we thought was going to be so good ended up off the board. Yeah, but it's, uh, did everyone really think he was going to be that good? I mean, he got he got beat first time out. He got beat again by Dr. Scheivel. Mm -hmm. Then he got beat in the American Pharaoh. I mean, like, he broke his maiden last time. Like, <laughs> I, I feel like, uh, yeah, he cost a million bucks, but maybe that looks like it, you paid too much money for him. And if anyone but Bob Baffert trained him, you'd just say he was any other horse. So, like, I liked him because he had two routes under his belt and seven furlongs is challenging. 
I don't think that he's a world beater, right? I mean, I will say this. Like, everyone says, oh, he beat his maiden. Parnelli's all right. I mean, the horse has raced three times and run second the whole time. I mean, this horse he's could still, just Yeah, be... he's still a maiden. So, uh, it just... And that's the best thing about two-year-old racing. Everyone struggles with two-year-old racing. It's all about form cycles and just interestingly how you can find the little extra nuggets when you go and dig deep for the for the different class stuff. Like that to me is my favorite part about handicapping is I'll get the PPs the day they drop without morning lines or anything and I'll just start looking through every single class of the last, you know, race or two for each horse and figuring out, you know, well, what did the top three do? Was there anybody who did, was it a key mm-hmm. race, et cetera? Like that to me is just as much fun as just going through the races in general as well. Right. Other than Red Flag, any other horse you're interested in? Uncle Boogie, obviously running a decent second one. He was well out of it. Uh, didn't even improve the buyer. Went back down to a 67. So this is also a race that I think is just going to end up being weird when you come back to look at you know, the early racing in 2021. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was surprised that Uncle Boogie ran on as well as he did. And you know, you, then you have, of course, like Ambivalent, who is making up ground again. And um, you know, he's, still, he's still a maiden. So... What do you do with it, really? Um, you know, looking at our horse, when he won the best pal, he went 112 and changed that day. And in this race for the six, they went 110 and changed. So it was just too fast for him. And we'll try and, you know, regroup and find something else. Still wouldn't mind trying him on the stretch out. Would still love to put him on the grass, just waiting for some more options uh, for, for him. And if we're going to see some changes come out of, you know, this race for horses, then I think that would be great. Everyone, like you say, talking about Uncle Red Flag being a uh, a derby horse. I mean, I don't necessarily see him wanting to go a mile and a quarter. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that he could definitely do both surfaces, but I think he'll probably top out at a mile. I mean, if I, I was going off pedigree, I mean, but that's what you have to go off as pedigree. I just obviously, I think the horse definitely wanted dirt all along. Seven furlongs is probably right around the wheelhouse. I think for this horse, and just ended up facing right. a field that I think people had overvalued a million-dollar horse that I think you're exactly right. Exactly. Maybe, maybe they overpaid for. Let's jump real quick into right. the last race, race number nine. This was actually one of the only races I hit for the tournament, ended up winning the tournament on this last race. It was a maiden special Woo! eight going five furlongs on the turf. It was just a very strange race to me, and when I, I was looking around to try and find a horse that could get me up into the into the top of the board, I just saw Magical Thought at 9-1. to one. I said Peter Miller at 9-1 to one turf sprinting. Okay, click. Right. Wasn't really much else to do to it. <laughs> um, obviously, a horse like Evo with Umberto Raspoli was interesting. John Sather at 0 for 21, though. I have a thing where when a trainer is starting to get, like, David Donk and uh, Nair was just 0 for 50 for a long time. When they start uh-huh. to get the short prices, especially what this horse was, I'm just totally avoiding, and if they beat me, they beat me. Well, you know, when you looked at EVOO or EVU, um, running second behind a stew who was super impressive yes. the day before, I feel like you know exactly why you were looking at this horse. Um, I I honestly thought that Velvet was going to get absolutely smashed in here. And I said, I think that she can get beat first time out. So I stuck her firmly into second place. And I was screaming at the end because I wanted her to stay there because I bet her. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So... You know, that was what I was thinking was that Velvet was going to end up being like a really heavy favorite and not Evu just because Velvet had taken mm-hmm. so much social media attention. She'd been working really well. She cost a lot of money. Um, you know, Mandela had said nice things about her. She got Flavian. So I thought she was going to get hammered, which was going to give me a much better price on Evu, and it didn't really work out that way. 
Let's kind of talk real quick about just the way you like to handicap maidens. A lot of people, you know, usually the rule of thumb is if they run second first time out, they're usually a pretty good shot to win the next time out. What's kind of your evolution of the maiden race? Um, I don't necessarily say that unless, you know, like in this case, because the stew had already come back to mm -hmm. run well. I like to just see who's run and how they've run. Um, again, a horse that was like, like Freedom Flyer I used because I liked the speed, faded out a little bit to finish second to Plum Sexy. Uh, in her first race, she was well beaten by Commander Ka, who who was well intended that day, in my opinion. Um, and Freedom Flyer also drew the rail last time, so I just think that she had a lot of reasons to to look good in here, and that's kind of what I want to look for is more excuses than anything. If a horse runs a perfect race and they run second, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of, of that scenario, right? Because then why didn't they win if they had everything their own way? Generally, I tend to veer away from first-time starters because, you know, it's hard to win a race first time out, especially when there's horses in here with experience. Um, you know, there's obviously those exceptions to the rule, but literally even if it's like Bob Baffer has three first-time starters, if there's mm -hmm. a horse in there with some, uh, experience and it comes from a smaller barn, I would a lot of times play that horse because I just feel like the experience will help. So this here comes the kind of like super fun, happy note I like to talk about. Uh, Mark Kramer, astute handicapping author, one of his favorite things was the hot trainer angle. And listen, we all know Chad and Bob and Todd are all going to win, you know, four or five races a week, etc. His idea of a hot trainer was having to win two races above $10 each week and just see, you know, if they can continue that trend because obviously we're looking for prices, not horses paying three forty to five twenty. Right. Uh, Peter right. Miller had three winners this week over ten dollars. That is crazy. Actually, I had the Peter Miller. I think in the nightcap the day before that was like the he had two and he had one big class dropper mm -hmm. and then he had another one. It was like Peter Miller and Slavian Pratt at six to one in the morning line. That's yep. what I said. I'm like, what in the hell? Yep. So I had to play that right. Like it's crazy. We, especially when Pete has two horses, Pete likes to play. Yeah. So look for the higher price to run well. And especially, too, and it was funny being in last place. I'm like, there's no – these guys, maybe they're not the best tournament players, but I can't win with the favorite in this box. I'm down $24. Like, they're going to block me with this Peter right. Miller. And then when I'm alive to it, I'm like, oh, boy, please, Peter Miller, have a rocket ship <laughs> in this one. What did you end up doing? Obviously, you like Velvet in second. Did you do any other wagering other than Velvet place money? I bet Freedom Flyer to win. Okay. I, that of was course, it. was on Magical Thought. Let's see who wins the nightcap here right now. They're off. Investment grade started very well and goes out to the early lead in company with Magical Thought on the outside. These two out to the front together. And farther out, American Heights is away running in third to their outside. Freedom Flyer is next and then Velvet down toward the inside. Evo is racing five and a half lengths from the front. Outside of horses, Phillylicious is next. And then Bathory on the inside. Judy with Grace is next. And then comes Made in Karoo. So they make their way around the far turn. Magical Thought the leader. Run at 23.29 quarter. Pace not fast here. Magical Thought's going to turn for home in front. Freedom Flyer ranging up alongside in second. These two are now 1-2. And they're followed by Velvet, who's closing down the center of the course. It is Magical Thought on the inside. Velvet closing in the middle. Freedom Flyer between those two. These three will decide it. They come down to the wire. Magical Thought. Velvet. It is Magical Thought. Velvet was second best. Freedom Flyer was next. And then Evo and American Heights. And Magical Thought does win the nightcap paying 2060 with a 70 buyer. Sometimes all you need is just a really, really strong front end speed type. And that's what I got here. 
Well, you know, when you look at this race, too, in, like, 2020 hindsight, you say, okay, if if you think that EVOO is good and Magical Thought is a much better price, then you have to kind of go with Magical Thought as well mm-hmm. because you're getting a better price for a horse that was pretty even with Evo or I like to keep calling her EVOO even though it's not her I name. mean, I do too. That's fine with that. Uh, Freedom Flyer, sub-22 first fraction last time. I thought ran fantastic in this race, running third at 5-1. to one. Obviously, Velvet splits them. Obviously, the horse is going to be good down the line, being an eight hundred and seventy-five thousand dollar daughter you of American hope. Pharaoh. You hope. You hope. Just because they cost that much doesn't mean they're going to be good. Didn't we just talk about that in the last race? I guess we did. That's very <laughs> fair. Uh, <laughs> Free, Freedom Flyer obviously didn't get the lead this time out. Do you think that this one is kind of just going to have to be a need the lead type going forward? No, I don't think so at all. Actually, I, I honestly don't. I think that there's, you know, the the first time out when she was behind horses we we have to remember she faced boys Mm -hmm. and then last time out she drew the rail so i think that was more circumstantial than anything that she ended up being on the front and getting a little bit too quick actually i think that if she maybe just gets a a a good trip she's going to be fine no matter where you put her any other thoughts on any other horse out of this race obviously magical thought winning only helps the student i would think going forward now right i mean definitely and i'm sure then you look at uh evu and she's going to get bet next time out no matter what i think people are just going to look at those running lines right i I think it'll be interesting to see where velvet ends up next time out as well five to two to coming down off a seven to two morning line probably going to end up at sub two to one but maybe one that might have that second itis type in it you never know like we just said yeah she could but you know mandela has been on a really good tear for this Mm -hmm. particular meet but he doesn't always fire with first time starters i think she'll be better next time that is all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank my special guest, Michelle Yu, for coming on. Michelle, where can people find you on social media? Oh, at the Michelle Yu. Hopefully we'll talk again soon when Santanita starts up again. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. A special thank you again to all the listeners and my special guest, Michelle Yu. One quick programming note. I will be putting out polls to see what racetrack you guys want to see me cover for next week's episode, as well as commenting with what guests you'd like to see. I'm going to put a poll with Woodbine, Churchill, Delmar, and Aqueduct. Just let me know what you guys want and think. I'm looking to make this more of a viewer-friendly show. I want to hear what races you guys want me to cover. That way we can kind of become more uh, interactive, let's say. This show is been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's president is Pierre Thomas Fornatel. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. And our In The Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time.